Good morning, world. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the April 9, 2013 edition of Ask a Leader. One year ago, practically to the day, we had the pleasure of hearing from three young adult cancer patients talking about their various types of cancer. Today, we'll hear from two of them on the progress of their care and a new development that we will reveal to you in the form of a five-month-old guest having her radio debut. The second half of the show, we'll be hearing from Napoleon Gomez, General Secretary of Mexico's National Union of Mine, Metal, and Steelworkers, calling in the interview from Vancouver, B.C., where he's been in exile for these last seven years. So with all this, please don't go away. We'll be right back after a brief interlude. Okidooks. La canne de Jeanne est morte au guil, en effet l'avait fait la veille, merveille, un œuf. La canne de Jeanne est morte d'avoir fait du moins on le présume. Thanks for bearing with me with my little repeat jingle. I wanted to make sure I had plenty of time for all uh, the calls in here that we patched through. So uh, let us begin then with our first guests today. They are Becky Tahera and Natalie Burgess, accompanied with her special addition to her family. Becky Tahera, she's 42 now, 41 last, she's 42 now, the mother of two daughters, age, we're bumping everything up one year, Becky, aged 19 and 16, just like mine. Uh, she is, uh, she's had breast cancer two times, once at 36 and once at 40. She finished her treatment a year ago as of March 5th, She's back to work full-time as a salon owner that's upright, standing, and totally invigorated, uh, and she's on the top of everything. At UCI, uh, oh, and in her own words, health is going great. Uh, that's a much, much needed uh, detail to add there. UCI alum Natalie Burgess, formerly Natalie Schiavoni, was diagnosed with stage 3B colon cancer, age 34, five weeks before her wedding. She had a sigmoid collect colectomy to remove the tumor and completed six months, 12 rounds of chemotherapy in February 2011. She teaches English composition and creative writing at Long Beach City College and continued to teach during her treatment. She has been cancer-free for almost three years now. It's an important milestone, folks. Her daughter, having her radio debut, is Isabella Grace Burgess arrived Saturday, November 7th, 2012, two and a half weeks early. She was in a hurry to show the world what she's about. She weighed five pounds. We don't usually do this with our guests, give them the weigh-in. She weighed five pounds, 13 ounces, and was 17 and one half inches long. She is one happy, she gets a bio, folks. She's a guest today. She is one happy and mellow baby by her mother's pronouncements. Her favorite games, because we need to know that, are patty cake and playing with her feet and her favorite songs, If You're Happy and You Know It, and Three Little Speckled Frogs. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Natalie and Becky, and hello for the first time, Isabella. Thank you. And we have Becky there, too? Is Becky there? Oh, goodness. We need to make sure Becky Tahara is on. I don't know. I think the call got dropped. What I'm going to need to do is put back, put on some music. Um, I'm going to redial everybody because I think we lost Becky. So um, everybody bear with us and we'll put, some, put a jingle on here from the Township Sounds. Stay with us. Well, I'm hoping for the best now. I'm hoping. Becky, are you with us at this point? I am. Okay. Everybody's Yay. heard your... Okay. <laughs> yeah, va-voom. We've got, we've got three ladies here on this interview, and we've got to scoot because of uh, some time constraints this morning. So we've given the introduction, uh, and uh, you just need to know, we also... I Isabella had a bio, Becky, uh, so um, at having her radio debut here at five and a <laughs> half months. Well, for the benefit of those who did not hear your first appearance on Ask a Leader, Lays. Let's start with a brief recap 
of the discovery and treatment of your respective cancers, starting with Becky. Well, which I guess I was diagnosed the first time in 2006 and then re-diagnosed the second time in 2011. Seven surgeries, and I'm doing fantastic, and I can't ask for a better place in life. Oh, amen. Amen. It's so good to have you on today. Thank you. And so, how about you, Natalie? You heard the, you heard the little summary in the intro, but um, what would you like to? You had a. It was a. As there, all of them are dramatic in their own ways, but there was a dramatic one because of your milestone, the wedding in the works. Yes. Uh, when, as I yes. said, five weeks prior, you were your colon cancer was detected. So you had to make Correct. several uh, life-changing, uh, crucial decisions in rapid, uh, you know, steps. So. Um, I hope nobody keeps. Uh, so, uh, sorry about that, folks. <laughs> this is. Uh, well, that's. I thought I had didn't have any lines left here. So anyway, we have. Um, thank you for dialing, everybody. So uh, what we're uh, faced with here is uh, what you had to deal with, and uh, Isabel is going to be a a mark of how um, those decisions worked for you. Go ahead. We'll just we'll just forget this sound. Go ahead. Okay, no problem. Um, I just, the biggest thing for me is, as you said, it's almost been about three years, and I actually have my next colonoscopy scheduled a week from today. But, you know, each milestone, each CT I go in and do that comes back clean is just another another huge accomplishment. And um, as you mentioned, the timing of my diagnosis was not ideal. That When is it ever ideal is the way I kind of right. look at it. And um, now I have a, a much, much more uh, exciting focus. So... Very, very excited about Isabella. And congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. So excited for you. Well, thank uh, you. Absolutely. And so, uh, so Natalie, at the time you did this show, <laughs> yeah. uh, after you know you 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 were sitting on some really big news. It was about your being six weeks pregnant uh, at that right. interview uh, with pregnant with Isabella. Can you tell us about? Any additional considerations that were necessary for attending both to you and your baby? You bet. Um, I think the funny thing for me was is that part of the reason I was asked to be on the show was to talk about the fertility preservation. Yes. And it turns out that we actually didn't need to use it. So that's that was a big bonus. Um, I attribute a lot of it really? to research. Yes. Yes, we did not have to use any of the embryos. We did it the good old-fashioned way. But, oh, um, that's the that was a, that's a revelation because I didn't we didn't find oh I'm I marvel <laughs> at that and I'm gosh it it just could I could drain tears all over this console make it not work anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was the funny thing is when I found out I was going in because I had an eye infection and it was just kind of this rigmarole where it happened and they said well you could leave a sample and I did and they came in and said it's it's positive and talk about crying tears of buckets that you know I, I wasn't expecting a that it would happen so quickly or that it would happen at all and it was exactly a year after I finished chemo that I got pregnant well I'm sure Leonard sent Dr. Leonard Center is going to really keep this is going to be the top of his portfolio of, <laughs> of his string of successes because as we talked about in last year's program that Leonard Center has really quite the renowned practice of fine-tuning cancer treatments for his specializing in young ad, uh, adolescents and young adults oncology um, medicine and so uh, that it it's a tribute to the care that not just Dr. Sander but all hands that were on deck for you Natalie Burgess mm-hmm. uh, that you yeah. you had those marvelous performing over <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And I did, um, one of the big things, the oxaliplatin that I was on, um, it is a hormone disruptor. And I did have gestational diabetes in my third trimester. Okay. And I also did end up with cholestasis, which is is another condition that's based on hormones. And um, so I did have, I don't want to call them complications, but they were issues. And that's actually part of the reason why Miss Isabella came two and a half weeks early. Okay. so So even though... We know that Dr. with, with yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Dr. Sender said he didn't have the data to prove it. He would not be surprised if my hormones were disrupted by the chemotherapy. And we know that gestational diabetes, that you could handle uh, managed by diet, so that wouldn't confound any of your treatments. What about the other condition, though? The other condition, the symptom was 
itching. I mean, I wanted to tear my skin off. I was just scratching, and, you know, it, it was not right. But the normal symptoms is to have the itching on the palms of the hands and the bottom of your feet. And I still don't have all of the feeling in the bottom of my feet from the chemo. A little so neuropathy? I, I couldn't speak to that. So wow. when they tested me, they tested me later. We actually didn't get the positive back until after she was born. So they kept me in the hospital an extra day. But your, your feeling still hasn't returned, oh, you say? It, yeah, my feeling, I still don't have full feeling from like the um, balls of my feet to my toes. So is there a, a sort of a progression of the, of the um, nerve endings and all that reemerging? Yeah. Yeah, it, it almost feels like, you know, when your foot falls asleep, that's right. what it feels like all the time for me. All the just time. Just in that, that area. Yeah. So is there some kind of a physical therapy or something to, or, or acupuncture that can help remedy uh, that? Or do you even have the I time? I tried acupuncture. That's actually a really good idea. Well, um, this is not, I'm going to give a disclaimer. I'm not a practicing uh, caregiver, <laughs> but well, I, it's, I I'm just the recipient. I while I was going through chemo. So, okay. I mean, I have done it, but I, I didn't think about it for my feet, and that it was that is probably one of the best things I can do. But I've been going to yoga and um, just I'm still juicing, which is one of the things I think that really helped me get pregnant. Uh, a lot of kale. Um, okay. But um, yoga and the juicing, I think, are the two best things for me, just kind of cleaning the insides out. Wow. Okay. Well, everybody can take note of all these these ways of watching for and, and following through with the you know, very available kinds of, um, you know, maintenance programs, that kind of thing. That's, and so speaking of those kinds of maintenance programs, Becky, you then uh, had, uh, have, what are your sorts of uh, daily maintenance programs that have changed since your, not only your last treatment, but then your surgery? It was late February, I believe, the, the, your last surgery was. So if you could talk to the treatments sort of uh, uh, comparable uh, um comparable to what Natalie's uh, talking about, and then we can talk about your surgery this, uh, this last late, uh, late winter. Um, basically, you know, the thing that I have tried to do, whether it was the first time through cancer or the second time through cancer, um, is just making sure that I um, exercise, even if it's moderate. Um, I get plenty of sleep. I try, I am finding... In fact, my husband and I talked about this yesterday. Yes. I told him, I said, you know, it seems that I don't handle stress as well anymore. He goes, no. He goes, you handle it just fine. He said, but you're finding that you just don't want to tolerate it anymore, and you're trying to de-stress your life. Well, that might be menopause about not tolerating certain things. Um, no, not it, it's not so much that. It's, it's change of perspective. Okay, got and, it. And mm-hmm. so I've learned that. The stuff that I used to put up with and, and the stuff that that seemed just such a big deal, it just, I, you know, I kind of throw my hands up going, really? Okay. <laughs> and I want to walk away from it, and which is good because, honestly, trying to, that's part of your maintenance program, is, is really taking inventory and, and walking a little more peaceful life and, and looking at the things that really are important. I mean, you know, I, I could say that I would probably be so excited if I was standing in Natalie's shoes and and um, and just had a baby, not knowing if I ever could, and then the way it happened. And, you know, that alone would give me a different perspective on mm. what's important. Indeed. Um, you know, I have, you guys are going to laugh, I have more animals in the house than I have people. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and I come home every day because I'm a hairdresser, and so I'm with people, and I love my clientele, and I'm social. But I I come home, and I find that this is my sanctuary, and it's something that I never appreciated before. So, so, yeah, yoga, um, meditation, um, the the right diet, and enjoying what I have right in front of me that I go to work to come home to, you know, just love and, and be with. And, and by the way, my people are more important than my animals, but I love my animals. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so. I, this is probably my call in from British Columbia, but I'm just going to have to shine on. Not till 9.30 am I going to, um, we can take that, but I'm sorry about that distraction. I'll try to yep. turn off my mic whenever I'm not talking, that is. So um, <laughs> the, for those of you who are tuned in to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, where my guests today are Becky Tahera and Natalie Burgess talking about their recovery from breast cancer and colon cancer, respectively. I think uh, Natalie's 
daughter, nine-month-old, five-and-a-half-month-old uh, Isabella is, uh, I think she's still snoozing, so... Yes, she's, I mean, she's, I have the world's best baby. Oh, I can't oh wow. Say, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here talking in front of her, and she's just taking her little morning snooze, and she's stirring a little bit, so she might wake up. Well, we I, hope to hear just, from her. <laughs> she is just a delight. So uh, we were talking about Becky's um, not suffering foolishness gladly at, at this point, and that uh, now um, you had a, a, was it a reconstruction yeah. surgery at the end of February, and you said that went that was the easiest thing ever of all the things that you've done. So yeah, how is that going along now? So funny. You know, every surgery I've had, I've had a hard time waking up, and, you know, I'm one of those people so sensitive to medication and whatnot. Oh, wow. Talking to the anesthesiologist this time, I said, I think maybe I'm just over-medicated. And so when we talked about it, you know, I said, please, don't give me this, because I'd get sick when I'd wake up and more drugs and, mm. you know, just on and on. And, mm. and so she goes, you know, I'm just going to give you the anesthesia, and we're going to play it by ear. And I popped right out of anesthesia. I got up. I was home within a couple hours after surgery. And I'm thinking, that's all it took? Less medication? This is cool. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so, oh, it was amazing. And, you know, because it was such a minor surgery, it was just to break up the scar tissue and just to try and actually complete my reconstruction. My poor plastic surgeon, every time <laughs> every time we've tried to complete it, you know, something else happened or oh, wow. you know, I was re-diagnosed or, you know, it was just always something. Yeah. And um, so we both are just like, okay, we're not going to say that we're happy we like it, but we're really happy and it's all good. And <laughs> <laughs> so we're, you know, it's, I went back to work, um, a week later and it just, um, it was just, you know, easy. And I don't know if it's because of all the other surgeries that I'm, I'm becoming used to it. I, and I hate to say that. I mean, who's used to surgery? No, but, um, really, yeah. we don't, we're not glossing over this. It just, it is likely relative to all the other treatments that you've had endured yeah. and well, probably if, it was the right time pop, if i can pop in there yes, um isabella was a butt breech baby so oh. i had to have a c-section okay Awful. this was my fourth abdominal surgery and all of the nurses <gasps> were amazed at how i was the best c-section patient they've ever had and i'm going well that's because i've had four abdominal surgery right <laughs> so exactly. i hear you on that yeah wow they yeah, didn't see exactly that in your chart how it is wow you know, you just, you get to the point where you're just kind of like, well, this is, you know, this is not a big deal, and yep. you just move forward. And, wow. um, so they didn't notice that you had already had abdominal surgery from little tiny uh, telltale scars? Are they, I mean, they're just, well, they, they weren't thinking they about that. They actually reopened my tumor scar to um, bring Isabella into the world. Okay. So she came out the same same area that they took my tumor out, <gasps> which I find very fascinating. Wow, that is a short story or a long book. You bet. Yeah, <laughs> boy, that's kind of like replacing something heart-wrenching uh-huh. with just a miracle all in itself. How oh, my yeah. goodness. And wow. it's kind of interesting. I, I teach creative writing at Long Beach City College, there and I had been working on my book, which is tied into my experience of being a young adult, but since having her, the whole book has changed. So I'm rewriting with whatever time I have to sit down and write, which is pretty minimal at this point. Right. But um, it, it is. It's, it's my miracle story. And, you know, there, there are so many parallels that, you know, with, with the cholestasis, um, my body basically created a toxic environment. And I truly believe that she and my body figured it out together. This isn't good for me. I need to get out of here. And that's why she came early. So, mm. yeah, all of this is being written down. But, you know, every morning I get to wake up and I am I'm so grateful and so thankful. And I'll be sitting there nursing her. And I just start crying because I didn't know that I was going to have this chance. And it's the best thing ever. Best ever. And no doubt, this uh, I want you to uh, keep us in mind with a follow-up when your book comes out. But before, oh, you bet. Be, but that that is an arrangement pending. So, um, with the time remaining, we really have to slide through this. The big takeaway message, both uh, Becky and Natalie, uh, from both of you on your first appearance a year ago, was how essential it is to be your own advocate for medical care. Mm-hmm. There's no wavering that one message later in the subsequent care that you have received. Is that right? Absolutely. You bet. You bet. And now that extends to my daughter. Yes. 
Oh, that's right. Now you're mm-hmm. an advocate for two plus. And some, I don't you know bet. about your spouse, if he's a good advocate. Some <laughs> some men aren't as good as advocates. Yeah, guys, I just said that. Uh, but so um, and so, uh, any uh, additional observations about uh, what might have uh, buttressed that case over this last year? I think for me, surrounding myself this with is, positive people. This is and Natalie. I think you kind of started to, t- to touch on that. Um, you know, I, I kind of cleaned house. I anybody who was kind of draining my energy, and you know, I just felt it wasn't you know conducive to me leading the kind of life that I needed to lead. Um, I've kind of cut out, and I know it sounds very harsh, but um, it's what was best for me. And I have surrounded myself with some of the most amazing people. And what Becky was talking about in terms of stress, yes. I have taken quite a bit of it out. I'm not perfect at it. I, I can still do better, but it makes all the difference in the world, and it allows me to focus on what's important. Yeah, I, I would, I would have to agree. Becky um, Tahara. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, you, you change your perspective, and mm-hmm. you move forward with what's good for you, what's not. I've learned, I never knew how to say no, and... I, you know, mm. people would always tell me, sit on your hands, you know, stop volunteering. And um, I don't volunteer as much as I used to. I learned how to say no, you know, and I, because I know that I need to come home to my sanctuary and I need to be with my family and I need to just decompress. And it's so important. It, you know, self-care is huge. It's not just yeah. your doctors. It's right. listening to your body, body. It's listening to, you know, your, what's going on in your mind. If it's chaos, have downtime. Figure right. it out. Right, right. You know, fi- figure out how to meditate to, to reduce that. And meditation can be in many forms. Just sitting in your car, going to the beach, taking a walk, whatever, whatever it is that you can just remove whatever's going on in your head. Um, it's, you know, and, then, and then it makes your doctor's job a lot easier because right. you're removing yeah. right. you know, other yep. junk. Well, ladies, yes, Natalie, let's let you wrap that up with that last thought. That's my, I've got to take that call in just a minute. So go right yeah. ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I totally agree with Becky. And I think we can both, and I, Becky, I hope I'm not speaking for you, but we have wonderful husbands. And I think that also makes a huge, huge difference is having that special person in your life who Absolutely. is your best friend, your biggest advocate, your biggest supporter, and will do anything for you. So that was also a big key factor. For well, me. ladies, thank you so much. I'm sorry to hasten here. Thank you for coming on Ask a Leader today. The next um, next guest I'm going to have on is, uh, well, Napoleon Gomez, Secretary, General Secretary of Mexico's National Union of Mine, Metal, and Steelworkers. We'll have him on in just a second. Thanks for staying with us. So here's to life. And every joy it brings So here's to life Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My next guest is Napoleon Gomez Urutia. Rutia, General Secretary of Mexico's National Union of Mine, Metal, and Steelworkers, or Los Mineros, as well as a member of the Executive Committee of Industrial Global Union, a new federation representing 50 million union members in 140 countries. Son of the previous leader of Los Mineros, Napoleon Gomez Sada, my guest is an Oxford-educated economist who succeeded his father's union leadership role in 2001. In 2006, amidst a series of uncolding catastrophes, and I use catastrophe in place of tragedy because it's much more, it's, it's much more fits the description, the unfolding catastrophes about which we will talk this morning. Uh, it became necessary for Napoleon Gomez to take his family with him out of the country. Seven years later, he continues to steer the workings of his union, which has been dem- democratically elected several times from the British Columbia, Vancouver, British Columbia. He has recently published a book, Collapse of Dignity, the story of a mining tragedy and the fight against greed and corruption in Mexico. 
As a native of the much smaller yet older Vancouver, Washington, and one familiar with the larger, more beautiful uh, Vancouver, I welcome you, Napoleon Gomez, to ask a leader. Thank you very much. I really appreciate this opportunity to address uh, uh, all your the, the the listeners to your program and uh, this interesting subject that. Uh, we're going to discuss uh, today. Absolutely, and it's it's not only on our 200 wattage uh, uh, transmission uh, from the station here in Irvine, but anybody in the world can be streaming this, and anybody in the world can hear the podcast after we finish. Well, although there are many labor disputes far from being settled the world round due to co- time constraint, uh, today's interview with Mr. Gomez will focus on matters of Mexican workers and labor unions. And I, I want to start this interview with acknowledging the persistent institutional efforts, a campaign to discredit you and the work that you've been doing. And when I've been doing this research, many resources would have me believe that both your father and you are corrupt union officials. And I, I have Mexican acquaintances who listen this morning with rapt attention to how you make your case for your role in representing the rights of Mexican mining laborers. Your book documents your actions and the motives behind them. So um, let's start with, uh, with as we... Um, look at this, the collapse of the Pasta de Conchos mine, you used the term industrial homicide to describe what occurred there with the resulting 65 fatalities in the Coahuila province, northwest of Monterrey, Mexico. Can you uh, talk to us about what had occurred at that mine and how industrial homicide is the term that aptly fits the situation? Yes, uh, with pleasure. Uh, uh, on the 19th of February 2006, there was a mine, a, a mine explosion in the north of Mexico, in Pasta de Conchos, in the northern state of Coahuila, which is a border state with the United States. And 65 miners died. The owner of the, compa- of the, of the mine is a group of Mexico, uh, which is uh, presided by Germán Larrea Mota Velasco. We have been complaining about the safety conditions and terrible health conditions that prevail in this coal mine. And the company never listened to our demands. In fact, we had three strikes before the mine exploded. And the company, again and again, just, they just did like a make-up uh, decisions, but are not uh, full decisions in order to correct all the the bad situation on the, on the safety conditions in the mine, because they had the support and the back of the government of Vicente Fox at that time, a conservative government, a right-wing government that was backing and working for the businessmen, as he Vicente said Fox? his campaign, yes. that his government was for businesses, for the interests of businesses, and only acting for businessmen. So this is something which is wrong for a politician and more for a president. Once they are elected, they have to govern and, and, and preside a nation or a country for everybody, in the, regardless of their political ideology or, or economic or social interests or whatever. So when this happened, then I accused the company of industrial homicide, or what you may call in the United States or Canada corporate murder. Uh, because what happened is that uh, the company, after the, uh, not listening to the demands of the workers for safety and health conditions, uh, they, on the fifth day of trying to rescue our colleagues, 65 of them were trapped in the mine. Yes. On the fifth day of trying to rescue them, they decided to shut down the mine and abandon the site, and the government just left the army and the federal police forces to guard the mine and... And, and in spite of all the cries, the desperate cries, cries of the families and, and claims of the families of the union of myself, I was right. personally there, and they never listened. They just left without, without knowing, and this is the most terrible the, the, the situation, is without knowing if our colleagues were dead or alive. But there, in your book, you mentioned that there, there was some... Uh, evidence that uh, of how their lives may have been ended. There, there was some video that was available, but that video somehow you were aware of it, but it was never made available to the public. Can you talk about what that bit of evidence would disclose about uh, their condition and why it makes this 
industrial homicide situation even more of a scandal? Yes. Uh, the company Grupo Mexico was operating, was exploiting this mine uh, through an outsourcing company. Out of the 65 miners uh, who died in, in this explosion, only 25 were unionized, members of our union. The rest, the other 40 uh, miners were uh, contractors or coming from an outsourcing company. Okay. So there were many measures that we insist uh, in a previous inspection that I w they should be corrected and changed, and the company never listened to them. Because of what I said, the inspectors in the mine and the government was completely backing this company, and this is something that is really a shame for Mexico, because when you compare this with what happened in Chile in 2010, right. completely different. in Chile they were rescued and in Mexico were abandoned. So, uh, and, and, and the company, one of the engineers of the company who was a young engineer was, was in the mine, and my wife had an interview with him because yes. my wife was with me, helping the families and assisting them as much as we can in, this, in the middle of this tragedy and desperate cries from the family to rescue their husbands or brothers or, or children or whoever they were trapped in the mine. And this engineer told told her that they had, they had used one camera which descended to the mine, and they saw through the camera there was a big group of miners uh, sitting on the ground, just were like waiting to be uh, uh, rescued, and uh, but even though the company uh, decided to shut down the mine, and that uh, there were there was no evidence of any kind of blast injuries, they were intact uh, uh, completely from that collapse. But just uh, uh, had they were waiting for a rescue, and there 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 wasn't an immediate uh, fatality of, as a result of the, of, of the collapse. It was. It was they had endured a much longer time with what turned out to be no uh, really reaching them, as we you said in the case of the Chilean um, collapse. Yeah, exactly. According to this uh, video that the engineer uh, told my, my wife and, and a couple of my colleagues who were there, uh, yes, they were intact. They didn't have any uh, immediate uh, death or anything like that out of the explosion. So, I mean, this, how can you... Leave them behind. I mean, <sighs> nobody in the world. I mean, could leave let behind um, the, the our colleagues or brothers or workers uh, in a tragedy like this or in a cat catastrophe, as you mentioned. Yeah, crisis. I think it fits. Yes, <laughs> I know <laughs> tragedies in your title that you use. I think. Yes, but what are the reasons you think that the owners of the mine, Grupo Mexico, uh, for not coordinating a rescue effort for the 65 miners trapped in the Pasto de Conchos mine? They didn't want that everybody and the, the, the workers and the general public and the, and the Mexican population and the world knew about the terrible safety and unhealthy conditions in which they were operating the mine. And, uh, of course, they, they went more trying to cover up what, I mean, not really making serious efforts to rescue our colleagues, just like to cover up. And the Secretary of Labor, who was at that time back in the company, I mean, he was a very an extreme right-wing person in the government. Uh, he belonged to one of the extremist uh, uh, organizations from the right wing. And he was a supplier in his personal business to this company of chemical products. He has two companies in his home state of San Luis Potosí. Oh and he was supplying chemical products. So there was a corruption involved, of course, because he was at the same time Minister of Labor, or Secretary of Labor, as we called it. And, 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 and then he was just back in the company and, and the inspectors, his son-in-law of the Secretary of Labor, Francisco Javier Salazar, Salazar was the delegate in the state of Coahuila from the Secretary of Labor. And they never did properly the inspections because they were colluded with the company. I mean, so they tried the company and the government to cover up this and just uh, cover the damages and... And, and try to see that uh, the public opinion and the workers and the families didn't react so strongly and angry, angry against them. And, and uh, this is why they decided, probably they thought, uh, I mean, in, in a very really coward and, and, and shame attitude to leave behind our colleagues uh, trapped in the mine. 
It is I pretty. Un- it is um, pretty unconscionable. To they literally buried the evidence of their culpability <laughs> in this catastrophe. Well, for those of you who've just joined us, we have this distinguished guest, Napoleon Gomez, General Secretary of Mexico's National Union of Mine, Metal, and Steelworkers, Los Mineros, so that you know the name of the union. Here on Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming to all miners, all you. Union workers around the world today in a Maggie-free zone, I might mention, uh, on the the web at www.kuci.org. He's talking today, we're in the middle of the Grupo Mexico's culpability in the uh, the catastrophe perpetrated on 65 miners. There were two, two of those 65 were recovered, but then, the, as you said, five days later, the, the search ended unceremoniously and and then that's where uh, but th- there were there were pr- troubles outside of the mine there were troubles going on where thugs were drugged or out, out, uh, inebriated to be emboldened to to uh, loot your union headquarters in De Efe, correct and so that be sort of like that whole week was a living hell for everybody affiliated with the union so yeah that that, that is correct i mean the the union was uh, raided by Gangs and groups of, of uh, 300 gangs armed with uh, knives and, and sticks and even firearms, and uh, they took for a couple of hours or less the control of the national and the corporate offices of the union in Mexico City. So they were trying to scare the union, trying to impose a new leader because, of course, my leadership was very uncomfortable for them because we were denouncing all these. Uh, corruption system. I demand the, uh, the 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 Secretary of Labor to renounce, and and, and I, I I demand Vicente Fox, the President, to remove the Secretary of Labor Francisco Javier Salazar for his incompetence and corruption uh, in, in collusion with Grupo Mexico. I mean, look at the tragedy in Chile, Claudia. Yes. And, uh, I mean, in Chile also, uh, the, the, in 2010, 33 miners were trapped. In, in, in the collapse of the mine, and they work for the rescue activities for 17 days. 17 days after the, the, the collapse of the mine, they were found alive, all of them. 17 days, no five days, like in Mexico, they left behind our, and abandoned our colleagues. And they rescue all of them 69, day, 69 days later, one by one, the 33 miners were rescued right. alive right. at 750 meters depth. In Mexico, in the Pasta de Conchos coal mine, is 120 meters. In a soft land, it's a coal mine. I mean, they didn't want to rescue our colleagues. It was really uh, a criminal negligence of the company Grupo Mexico and the government of, of Vicente Fox with uh, a lot of uh, irresponsibility and, and, and arrogance behind these scenes. This is why I accuse them of industrial homicide. And, and, and you were there. Them. You were there on the scene as well as your wife, Oralio Caso. Oralia. Oralia, Oralia. Yes. We so, were there. Min- and uh, after a week, I asked her to go back to our hometown, Monterrey, which is about yes. 300 kilometers from the mine where the mine is located. And I continued for another two weeks, but uh, immediately the government reacted, uh, attacking me and the union trying to impose this uh, puppet to their interest. Uh, 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 and a previous uh, member of the union who had been expelled from the union on proof charges of treason and corruption and spying for Grupo Mexico. He was not a member of the union, and the government thought that they could impose just a leader just like that, without not respecting the bylaws of the union, without not election, without no convention, without not paying being a member of the union not paying dues, that as it's established in our bylaws. So the reaction was that we went into a national strike immediately after they began this attack on me, and they immediately they launched a smear campaign of accusing me and all my colleagues of different uh, false charges and, and accusations, and, and, and then they start this political persecution and abuses of power that they continue committing not only during the last year of Vicente Fox government, but all the six years of Felipe Calderon as well. 
I mean, it's, it's really a shame what has happened in Mexico. And you were you were also dislodged uh, in a um, sort of it was a coup on your your union leadership. The toma de nota was given to another person who was never democratically. He was appointed uh, by the owners, the government, and uh, the owners of the mine and the and the government. It was a, a real slap, and you you know. And so it's it's an, it's incredible. I want the listeners to appreciate that you have been steering all of this union's activities and then uh, coalescing with union leadership around the world these last seven years all the way in, in a much distant uh, British Columbia location from where you call in this interview today and so it's a it's just incredible well I we're we're not going to get uh, well I'm not going to talk about the lack of time it just goes without saying but um, with you've talked about the the pr- two previous regimes and your book um, ends before the the recent election of Enrique Peña Nieto, I'm sure you have a lot to say about now this uh, photogenic, telegenic uh, sort of straw guy for the Institutional Revolutionary Party, or PRI, as most of us know it in this country. Uh, what kind of confidence does he instill you in you, uh, a redirection of labor union politics in Mexico? Well, uh, Claudia, we have a... Uh, some expectations that uh, this government of Peña Nieto, the pre-party in power, will uh, solve this conflict without uh, this political persecution, only according to the law, according to what is right, and according to to what is uh, justice to be done and in, in this case. And uh, this is what we are hoping from him, because uh, the prestige of Mexico, the image of Mexico has been Terrible, da- terribly damaged in, in the world uh, out of these violations to the Constitution, to the judiciary system, and the corruption involved from the two governments of Vicente Fox and Felipe Calderón. So now we hope that uh, this will change. We have been, uh, uh, we didn't have any, at the end of uh, Felipe Calderón, we didn't have any uh, even communications or, or negotiations with the government. Uh, they never respect the law, they just were so. Uh, 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 arrogant that they didn't want to listen to the workers at the union. Now we have been in touch and having meetings with uh, uh, the Secretary of Labor, the Secretary of the Interior, and the pre-party, and we are going and we are trying to see if we can end with this conflict. If they just act according to justice and respect for the union, for my leadership. Claudia, I have been reelected six times yes. unanimously in different conventions during the last six years unanimously. Now, I think I'm the only one in the history of the labor movement of Mexico who has been reelected in a short period of time, six times, from abroad, from, from Canada. Right. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, the, and, and the, something that in the world, and the, our brothers and the international union leaders from all over the world respect and admire because they know that the workers want to exert their freedom to elect their leaders and, 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 and respect for the union and their decisions. This is what is correct not what the Mexican government has done during the last uh, 12 years, and I hope that this will change with Enrique Peña Nieto. We are not sure at this point, but uh, we have expectations that these things will change, and I hope that uh, in the right direction. Well, it certainly is a stark contrast from absolutely no even back channels with the um, the Calderon administration. So I'm I'm uh, this is an installment after um, your your book uh, completion, the collapse of dig. I want to remind listeners um, the book is called Collapse of Dignity: The Story of a Mining Tragedy and the Fight Against Greed and Corruption in Mexico. Um, now. Since you've been cleared by both the Mexican and Canadian courts, and I say Canadian because there uh, you have not been extradited uh, back to Mexico because of the Canadian courts ruling not to turn you over to them, you've been cleared of all of any charges lodged against you dealing with the fifty-five or some say sixty-one million dollars of a of a tr- it was a trust uh, that was uh, in, that your union was entitled legitimately from the uh, the mine uh, owners. Um, so uh, what? We recognize that um, you still have this hurdle in removing the Interpol's outstanding red notice <clears throat> that compels you to remain indefinitely in Canada. What measures, uh, Mr. Gomez, um, do you await that are that you're currently working toward to allow for your safe return to Mexico and especially to Monterrey? Oh yes, I'm, I'm working very hard on that. Let me tell you, Claudia, first that uh, 
the Canadian government not only reject or, or refuse every single false document that Mexico sent. It's a shame what they did. I mean, and, and they uh, they also gave me more protection and they grant me a permanent residence in Canada. Oh, that you have uh, now. Well, wow. yeah, I have not since uh, May 2011. Okay, and uh, so I'm a resident of Canada. Of course, I'm wishing and, and dreaming to go back to Mexico and leave me, my, the, the union, not only from from uh, from here, but uh, there with my colleagues. They come every single month. We have conference calls, video conferences, etc., all the time. But uh, in my book, Collapse of Dignity, all this is story. I mean, it's, it's, it's written with the truth. This is the truth about this conflict. This is the truth about the... Uh, abuses of power and, and political persecution cases that uh, should never happen again, not only in Mexico, but any, anywhere else in the world. And uh, I'm denouncing with names and, 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 and last names, I mean, the people who broke the law and they had never been called to, I mean, uh, and, and, and being investigated properly as it should be done. And they still, hold, they still possess the toma de nota that, allow, that is the, a formality about... Uh, being the president of that union. Yeah, uh, yeah, I have the toma de nota now as president and general secretary of the National Mine, Metal and Steelworkers Union of Mexico. But uh, they took it away for some time. And, and, and uh, I mean, this is something wrong. First, that, uh, that the toma de nota exists in Mexico, which is the official recognition from the government. I mean, the, the workers and the unions all over the world are free to elect. This is the right to freedom of association. Right. And it's in the ILO, the International Labor Organization, is guaranteed. And Mexico is the only one who violates this, have this instrument of control, political control of the unions they like and the unions they don't like. Because when they like, for instance, this puppet that I tried to impose in the union, they gave in a matter of a couple of hours a toma de nota document. Some other important union leaders from Mexico have taken some, sometimes four to five years to, yes. to have received his toma de nota or, or their toma de notas or official recognition. So this is a clear instrument of the fascist governments of Italy when Benito Mussolini and Franco in Spain introduced to control unions. And Mexico is the only one probably in the world today, or is one of the few, who has still toma de nota. We are fighting to this be uh, uh, cancelled by, by the, as an obligation for unions. I mean, unions should... It's a, it's, a, it's a decision from the workers to unionize and elect their, free, uh, their workers in freedom. And uh, this is against international rules and agreements that uh, even the Mexican government has signed with the, with the ILO, the International Labor Organization. So instead of this, they use uh, a political persecution, abuse of power, they use uh, false accusations. I mean, the trust that was created... It was the, the funds belonged to the union. The trust was completely uh, uh, in, in place in, in, in the bank accounts. Even the national banking and safety, uh, the national bank and safety commission from Mexico, which is a government institution, in March 2006 declared that it was completely legal and transparent. Yes, yes. Then we made Crucial. an audit from an audit independent auditing firm from Switzerland that the International Metal Workers Federation contract in order to do this, and all, they clear us of everything. And they continue with these lies, I mean, just to favor and support a company who has really been so unrespectful and committed criminal charges. And none of them have been investigated, none of them is in jail, as they should have been, because it's they assassinated 65 minors in Pasta de Conchos, and this is something that they will never take it away. Right, uh, later on. Time. Yes, later on in the uh, the other district there. And that's that's mapped out uh, in great detail in your book. And um, I, I just want to sort of co just collect our thoughts here. And what was a win-win in Chile a year after the catastrophe, which... Uh, which you observed and tried your best to intervene in um, in the, the kind of the collapse in rescue that uh, in, was a win-win in Chile, but uh, it seems to be a lose-lose in Mexico. The whole, total inverse, uh, losing uh, Mexico, losing uh, stock in uh, you know good faith uh, 
intervention behavior in the Mexican government, Mexican business, and Mexican media. That's what's made it really hard for Mexicans in, uh, in the mainstream, not in the union, but in the mainstream to understand uh, because of how much the media has uh, has colluded with with business and the government to, to characterize you in a, in a not a good light. So, um, well, I, I recognize that that uh, Napoleon uh, Gomez, that um, you are internationally engaged in workers' rights, and I hope that you'll return to this program in order that we can take up that so that we can uh, cover the broader scope and trends in labor movement, because they aren't looking good worldwide. And so, will that be possible, Mr. Gomez? Oh, yes, sure. Uh, you can count on me, sure. I'd just like to add, Tonya, before we end, yes. that, uh, the book is going to be launched on the 17th of April next week here in Vancouver during the National Policy Conference. And, uh, in Vancouver. It's public in Vancouver will be launched, and in the United States at the same time. It can be, I mean, everybody can go on the uh, com and they yes. will find the outline of the book. The book can be acquired in bookstores. It will be, and, and, uh, and, and through all the major um, distributors, Amazon, and many of those, but I hope that uh, everybody is interested in reading the book. It's a real story. It's, it's a good, very it's, well documented. It's not a story. It's a narrative. It's a, it's the, it's yeah. nonfiction completely. <laughs> I'm not going to exactly. take. Exactly. Unfortunately, and, it's a nonfiction. I wish it could be a fiction, but uh, uh, this is the real truth. The real about truth. This conflict. Yeah, and and, 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 and so and it's a shame for Mexico to have abandoned 65 miners, and it's a it's a victory for Chile to have rescued 33 miners. And. And so, and the uh, as one of the first questions when I spoke to your media representative is, you will not be able to come to any of these launchings in the states. It's all it's all in English. It was. Uh, did you write it? Oh, I don't have time to ask that. We're going to ask that the next time we get you on here. But so you won't be able to come to the states to be a part of that launching. It's another sort of smarting here. So I, I thank you very much for being on Ask a Leader today. And may I, Mr. Gomez, extend my thanks to your wife. Oralio Caso, who who perseveres at your side, and I hope that next time that we speak, that you uh, your telephone line will originate from Monterrey, Mexico. <laughs> thank you very much. I really appreciate and thank you for this opportunity. Thank you so much. All the best, and I do look forward to a, a, a follow up on the international round. All the best. Hasta luego, hombre. Hasta luego. Muchas, gracias. Muy muchas gracias. We've got clothes on Corrido de uh, Monterrey, La Sultana del Norte. This is where the um, Gomez family hails from, but while they're still hanging tight in Vancouver, B.C. Next week on Ask a Leader, we're going to have Linda Bogue, UCI's Emergency Services Manager, lead us through the all-important preparation that we shall neglect no longer. Then in the latter half of the show is the inestimable Dr. Orrin Pilkey, Professor Emeritus of Earth and Ocean Sciences at Duke University to talk about our beaches' inevitable retreat. And that's everybody's beaches world round. He's been warning us about for decades and we'll have him right here with us on Ask a Leader. Now, next up is Senor George Rosales with George Hat. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening. Sí, señor.